Welcome back to the Dry Hockey Periodical Podcast, where I am personally hoping that the NHL's third trip to Atlanta goes a lot better than its first two did. Well, are we going to Atlanta? Uh, Turner Sports is based in Atlanta. I think that joke might have been uh, too dense. No, that makes sense now. Greg Maddox, CBS, I get it. Well, I mean, I wonder if they're going to put on the back of somebody who wears 17, Superstation. Okay, that joke is really too dead, but I'm sorry for that. They, Ted Turner did that with a Braves player in the 70s when they started the TBS Superstation. I apologize. That, there are some jokes here that are a little too dense because I've got family in Atlanta, so I've learned the history of Atlanta sports. Uh, I, I fully apologize if some of these jokes are too dense. Uh, but what this Atlanta means, I guess, sports. is is like a county fair and a used car lot got together. Uh, well, it's so fascinating because I remember uh, last night I'm watching Atlanta United play the Union in CONCACAF Champions League, which is one of uh, the most underrated amazing sports competitions in ever. Well, I guess we'll talk about the European Super League later. What <laughs> an amazingly ridiculous game that was. That was so much fun. Congrats, Philadelphia Union. Oh, Just... great. You, when you would talk about, I mean, I don't want to turn this into an MLS podcast because I would if I could. Um, but I do want to say, when we talk about sports teams building through, like, homegrowns and doing it organically, I mean, there aren't many better in American sports that do it quite like the Philadelphia Union. And people who know me know I don't say nice things about Philly sports teams a lot. But the Union are brilliant at that. Go, go Very much a fan. I've done some things for the Union, too, so I'm, I'm saying this because I'd like perhaps to maybe do some, some work with them again in the future. Uh, but they're a class, class act organization. Class act, good, great things. Player from Medford, New Jersey, is playing in Europe right now. Is just playing in the uh, in the Europa League. Medford, New Jersey. Everybody. Turning a profit, love it. Yeah, oh, well, no, it's how you actually can develop young players and make them better, and then sell them for millions of dollars because that's how soccer works. We'll talk about the European Super League later. Uh, I did want to start with the Turner Sports joke because you know um, the other thing that they did, which Happy I just they got it though. Well. I, I, well well, are you interested in knowing that in that graphic with Alex Ovechkin, they decided to put Andrew Ference on it for some reason because they nobody in the in in the production rooms in Atlanta thought, hey, wait a minute, that's not Connor McDavid. That's par on with Bally Sports and ESPN so far. So, what's the difference? Bally Sports, Bally Sports is the same people just with a new gloss. I mean, it's the same people that worked at Fox Sports Florida uh, forever. That, I don't know if you could call what they're doing a gloss. It'd be like. It's way worse. From everything I've heard and from what I've seen, it is way worse. Well, I'm not here to comment on broadcasting. I have to pull punches because I'm in the business, and I, you know, you don't want to, well, you don't want to make. This enemies. is my opinion that Matt doesn't want me to say. <laughs> well, no, this is entirely Tommy Krulikowski's opinion. Entirely Tommy Krulikowski's opinion. Um, I do want to say though, because I do want to mention uh, before we get into, there's lots to talk about with Panthers and other things hockey related, of course. Um, that going to Turner is so interesting to me because not often do you actually see in the modern sports media age a company that has never covered a sport before now covering a sport. Um, now, this did happen with Turner and soccer and the Champions League, and I will say that their first hire for covering soccer was current Brooklyn Nets head coach Steve Nash, which was allowing me to make the greatest joke I think I've ever made is that uh, congratulations to Brooklyn Nets head coach Steve Nash on being able to make a great career change from being a Turner soccer analyst. It's an amazing career change that nobody else could pull off other than him. Congratulations. Which which was one of my favorite jokes that I think I've ever made and was one of the most obvious. Well, but. 
that's the thing about Turner is they're willing to try these crazy different things that are going to bring in eyeballs that wouldn't otherwise tune in. And I'm all for that in, in hockey. Uh, I might I'm not like it. That, I'm, I'm all for that too. It. Although, I mean, you don't want, I don't want to say that you don't want to make fetch happen because that's probably the wrong description here. But I do want to say to the people who are going to produce the NHL at Turner, and I bet they're going to do a good job and they're going to work their tails off because they're paying a lot of money for these rights and they're going to get three Stanley Cup finals. Please do not try to recreate inside the NBA with hockey personalities. It's going to go really badly because hockey people don't have personalities. You're not going to find another Shaq. One of them in NHL analysis does not exist. I mean, you could bring on Charles Barkley. What are they bringing back Briz? I mean, like, you know, what are they? <laughs> ah, yes. Everybody's now going to suddenly have plans of Winnipeg parks on their television screens. No, but, like, I like that. Like, I would rather that than ESPN Sports Center. Like, if you're telling me what would I rather watch, NBA TNT versus ESPN Sports Center. So, for that, I'm optimistic, and I'll leave it at that. I will say that as long as. <laughs> The money's good. The money, it, I mean, it doubles the NHL's rights fee, so perhaps in two years the cap will go up. But, I mean, my point for this is, is simply just try to create your own thing, but don't try to recreate something you're not going to be able to recreate in hockey because they tried to do that with their soccer coverage, and it felt kind of forced. And uh, inside the NBA is great, but that's a unicorn. You can't make that happen again. I'm just that's that's my opinion from having watched plenty of inside the NBA. I, I think that they're going to – Basically, the the way to su- have success is to just play up the dominant, uh, you know, flamboyant personality in that sports culture, and they did that with the NBA, and if they can do that with the NHL. So who does that mean they get? Because obviously, I mean, my worry is somebody hires Jeremy Roenick again, I mean, which it, is a it, terrible it, idea. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's more like Pavel Barber. <laughs> Well, if you, if you could have Pavel Barber doing skills demos, I'm all for that. That would be like, cool. I think, I think that's, I mean, that's, I think, the successful path down that way that doesn't feel like, you know, hello, fellow kids. Um, oh, yes, yes. We're all, we're all Steve Buscemi in the meme. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'm, I'm up. It was the one big multi-conglomerate bullshit monopoly that could get the rights that i would have optimistic faith in so that's nice it's interesting it is very interesting i will find out in october what it looks like because they'll they'll start in october along with espn i kind of know what espn's coverage is going to look like because we we've seen espn cover hockey before and we know their big hockey personalities are going to cover it so it's very intriguing i i don't mind some of the people who have have worked on nbc's broadcast i think they work hard it's very hard to it's very hard when you lose rights i i think and i think I think people behind the scenes at NBC that were off camera and, you know, doing, you know, producers and things like that were in camera people were a lot, um, you know, were good. It was just, I think they're, they're not going to do what Turner and ESPN is willing to do, which is stray off of the traditional down the middle broadcast approach of NHL. I mean, a lot of people, I, mean, we, I saw a post from somebody who worked, started working, you know, at OLN Versus and then kind of migrated into NBC. Uh, so it, it's always sad when you see good people losing rights. Some of them are going to land on their feet, some won't, and that's just the way the business works. And I tell you, because I've worked in this business and I still do work in this business. The one thing that's interesting is Comcast is obviously not out of the NHL, 
They have four, you know, regional networks that are going to have the rights, the Flyers, Capitals, the Blackhawks, and Sharks. Comcast owns the Flyers, as Tommy has mentioned many times on this show. And, oh, by the way, there's a 2022 Olympics covered by NBC. So Pierre Maguire is not going to be gone for long. Sorry. Um, no, so- and I'm sure that he will weasel his way oh. into a joint contract or something because I'm sure NBC would love to, like, either drop some of the money that he's owed or something like that to get him I- I will say to let him get on the, the air. One more thing about the rights briefly. If I had to pick between the NHL staying with NBC or the Premier League staying with NBC, I'm going to take the Premier League. I want the Premier League to stay with NBC. I'm a big fan of their coverage. Some really good people work on that. And their coverage really revolutionized how we cover soccer in this country. So I hope NBC sticks with the Premier League. That's another rights deal coming up. But that's another discussion for another And day. And unlike TNT, unlike TNT and Turner, it's like a, it's going to be a national like broadcast broadcast like deal. Yeah. It's it's very yeah. Intri- it's 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 very different when you're talking about covering a property in soccer versus the entirety of the NHL. Yeah, and you can put it on NBC. Right? Yeah, and they will and they will still do that. Well, it'll be yeah. on USA, but anyway. So yeah. that's that's our John Rand talk for the day. Very low rent John Rand, Maryland alum John Rand, by the way, and Richard Deitch, who obviously I'm a fan of both of their work. Um, so there there is a lot sure. of hockey stuff to get to. Um, I do. Where, where would you like to start? Because the last time we did a show together uh, was the trade deadline show. Then we I had Chris wait. Peters on. And Chris Peters was great, by the way. I, I, I encourage you to listen. That show is still very much evergreen, talking about prospects, talking about some players. Uh, we're going to get to the U18s later because Tommy has been religiously watching this tournament. And it is, I think, the happiest he's been in a very long time. And I'm all here for Tommy getting to watch these tournaments. It's great and- that they're on. And Chris Peters as well is doing some broadcasting. Oh, uh, spectacular! Uh, spectacular! TV. Um, Lo- uh, you you so have that's, to that's you have it. to give great credit to you know the people who put the work in to cover these prospects, especially this year. Just wonderful. And Chris is great. I mean, I've I've read some of Corey Promen's stuff from this. It's been very good. So well, let's let's just start with U18s because okay. I'll just yeah, be we'll short, do and, that. short we'll do and sweet, that. and we can get it because it's still early. In the next podcast, we can do a more in-depth thing. Uh, you know. Sweden just got drubbed by Canada. 12-1, you told me. Yeah, something like that, or 12-2, or, you know, it was... I I turned it off after a while, but it was way... It got out of hand. Uh, So you hate to see that from a Swedish club. You kind of, you know, there's Simon Edvinson, who might be a top 10 pick, or, you know, as high as top five, top three. Uh, So you, you... And there's some other prospects on that team, so... You know, a lot of scouts were there, and that's not going to go well. So if you see people (laughs) dropping down the rankings, it might be because they gave up in a game against Canada and let it get to 12-1 or 12-2. Yeah, it was just a bunch of yandles out on the ice. A bunch of Controllers disengaged, yeah, after a certain point. Oh, no. Um, You know, U18 and, and these types of games get out of hand like that, but it's usually not against Sweden. Um, it's usually, you know, against Belarus or, yeah, you know, something like that. Not to put those countries down because they also do well in these tournaments uh, and have some good well, underdogs. it's fascinating because, like, in many cases, this is one of the first times you're seeing some of these prospects play. I mean, because the OHL season is completely canceled. I mean, there is no OHL season, barely one in the Q and the W. So you're not seeing a lot of these these players. Um I think a lot of the what I saw, a lot of people are focusing on guys who are not even in this draft. I mean, Shane Wright. There's a oh, lot wow. of talk about him. Connor Bedard, I think. Is it Connor Bedard on that team? 
Because yep. I mean, or you mentioned it. I, I think Jeff Merrick mentioned him like the tank already for 2023. Because that's that's yeah. the year. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's, it, a, I, there's a lot of great players in the 22 and 23 draft on Russia, on Sweden, on Finland. Yeah. On what, what makes this draft so fascinating? And we talked with Chris about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Was that this draft is not a great draft, and then you have all the extenuating circumstances for this particular draft, which makes it even tougher to evaluate. Yeah, it's not a great draft, uh, but I also think it's getting hurt by not having the year-long narrative of building up some of these top-end guys, so it doesn't seem as exciting. I think it's as good as last year, in, uh, it, give or take. You know, it's, a, it's an average draft class, but you have to think about how good draft classes have been recently because of the heightened level of skill across the world um and the you know the better development techniques across clubs and you know this the drafting mortar skill and 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 all that so i think you're going to see still really good players drafted all up and down this this year too and you you see that uh, in this u18 team uh, in this U18 tournament, you're going to see a lot of guys uh, step up. Uh, I think, you know, part of the reason Canada put the beating on Sweden last night is because for a lot of these guys, this was their first impression for scouts in their draft year. And they've been waiting for this for a while. And uh, they definitely were ready for it. And, uh, you know, that's I, I think that's actually extremely underrated because some of these players, you're mentioning it, like the, the, the 2021 eligibles who are particularly OHL players, they're like caged dogs. They, they've yeah, been they're, they're hearing this isn't play. a great. They're hearing this isn't a great draft, you know, and, you know, they, they haven't got many looks, and they've just been waiting to prove themselves. And uh, it, from Canada's standpoint, they have a pretty strong draft this year. I think Russia and Sweden as well, U.S. and Finland, you know, I, I, I'm a little down on U.S., every year so uh i'm not the best to judge it but i'm higher on finland than most and i think those countries are right in there uh and then of course germany switzerland there's so many good players from all over um if you're a good team and you have five or six draft picks you can come away with four or five nhlers uh that particularly without a consensus board right like that means you're gonna find a lot of different options and your guy could be available at a spot you never thought he was available because this is a bizarre year. You know, it's just such a a chaotic year, and that chaos breeds those extreme results, like going home empty-handed or going home with a ridiculous haul. And I think you were the one to bring that up on the last podcast. Yeah, I I mentioned it because, you know, I don't follow these prospects the same way you do or the same way some Chris or Corey Promen or Will Scouch does. You know, when I look at it, I go, okay, chaos can sometimes breed a great opportunity. If you're common chaos and you're focused, you have a plan, there's a lot you can do and there's a lot you can take away. And then there's other teams who are going to be like, I'm lazy, I'm going to punt on this draft. And you don't know which teams that are necessarily going to be. And it's a very intriguing time, I guess, when you're talking about the draft because of all those factors. And it again, because there isn't a like, oh, my God, prospect like in the last couple of years. And I asked that to, to Chris because it's true. Like last year we had Lafreniere. Everybody kind of knew he was number one. Then we had Jack Hughes. Everybody kind of knew he was number one. Darlene, 
2017 was the last time we had even some level of doubt about who was number one, even though it kind of became obvious who number one was. Like, we had some doubt about it. And it's very yeah. rare now in this modern draft that we're going into a draft going, okay, I have doubts as to who number one's going to be. And this is one of those rare years where you're going to see that. And yeah, so, and I, I don't think that would be the case without coronavirus. I think there'd be a few guys who would definitely have stepped up and they'd be the strong favorite for the consensus. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. It's going to be very interesting. I... I like a, a lot of defensemen this year, and, and I think the strategy uh, to go to play might be, you know, after the first, especially the first 30, but even 50 picks, uh, I would just start looking for raw, talented defenders, and I think that's where you can squeeze the most juice out of the, you know, stone, so to speak. And uh, well, also, that's of what course, I would remember: do. seven more players are being drafted this year because of the introduction of our favorite Seattle Easter eggs. Yeah, I think the yeah, well, Kraken, but yeah. I mean, I I still love that Merrick versus Wyshynski running joke from like five years ago, and it's never going to get out of my head. It's going to take me a while to call them the Kraken. I I apologize. I apologize hey, well, to people you in got, Seattle. At least until they start playing games, or you know, oh, no, the at least till the draft. Expansion expansion draft is going to be the first time where it's going to really come to me. I've been reading some mock expansion drafts, and they're they're interesting and. Uh, the, Seattle is not going to be anywhere near as good as Vegas. I mean, Vegas was a was a uh, you know once in a lifetime thing that happened. Uh, but isn't, teams are... isn't that how do you feel about that? Let's let's pivot off you know UA teams and, and drafts. I think we said what you want. I'll just plug it with one more. Uh, I really like the Finnish defenders more than other people. You mentioned one guy who was actually trained in South Florida. Who you're like, I hope the Panthers drafted a late round. Uh, yeah, yeah, Callie or Vesti, I, I think would be a good one. Okay, okay, I like that. Isn't it also funny, as you mentioned, Florida-trained defenders? Everybody's talking about Shane Gossespierre, and now Jacob Chickard's getting Norris love. If you want to talk about trading for a, a defenseman who was born and raised in South Florida, there's your guy. I mean, you might have to kick Jeff Chickard off the broadcast, but uh, listen, if you can bring Jacob Chickard to Florida, please. It'll never happen, I'm just saying. Yes. I, was, yeah. I, I remember in 2016 thinking, I thought the Panthers were going to draft him. He didn't get there, but if he was available at that pick, I was thinking they might actually draft him. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been a bad pick, uh, no, all no, things no, no, no. considered. Um, back to the expansion draft. I, I, I have some mixed feelings about it. Uh, you know, there's two parts that I have mixed feelings. That they, uh, they really kind of put a stranglehold around uh, the expansion draft, making it hard for Seattle to kind of do what they did with Vegas. Um, with how much money Seattle had to put down and – uh, you know how close to it they, their agreement it was to Vegas. I feel like that's a little. They haven't done that in recent in the expansion history under Bettman before, so that's new. Um, but okay. Uh, the, the second thing is, I think Vegas should have to put in players. I think Vegas should have to take part. Um, you know, I've been thinking about that a little bit. Like, I understand why Vegas does not have to be a part of this, but when you go over it more, you're kind of they, wondering, why aren't they involved? Well, at this point, they've taken the, you know, they're coming on to, what, their fourth or This is going to be their fifth year or, in the NHL. I mean, that, yeah. that's ridiculous and, even saying that, but it's going to be their fifth so year how, in the yeah. NHL next year. So how many trades have they made? How, I mean, like, they've improved their roster. I mean, they've – and they've – clearly showed at a performance level that they 
they have it. They have, I mean, let's, let's go to cap friendly. Um, you're allowed, you're allowed, everybody has a set cap and everybody has a set limit of contracts that one can have. They have 49 out of 50 contracts. They have 64 out of 90 on a reserve list. They're right up against the cap and they have been since their creation. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think that they have enough that they can lose one player. I do, I do too. I mean, and also consider, like, this team in this season iced less than full forward and defense lines because of the cap. I'm thinking that they could get away with being a part of the expansion draft. I kind of understand why they're not, but, no. I, also, but I also think, you know, a little, little weird. Um, anyway, we'll get a lot more yeah, into that. And, and the second thing is, uh, you know, <laughs> Florida is one of the only teams, is the only team right now at the 50-50 contract limit. So hats off to them. They are using every inch of flexibility that they have. Uh, you you love to see that. But, uh, you know, the one thing that's nice is with how restrictive this is and with apparently Ron Francis in Seattle's statement being to make any sort of change or to have any sort of, um, you know, favors done is going to cost a first-round pick or a first-round pick quality prospect at least. Uh, I think... Basically, it puts Florida in a great spot where they can just set it and forget it and, you know, just deal with whatever Seattle chooses to do. Uh, and they don't have to look into, you know, making moves and possibly recommitting similar errors. Yeah, to not that Not that anyone's really worried, you know, with No, and, and the thing, I, and the one athletic mock draft had them taking Radko Gudis. I mean, Gudis is cool. I know. I know you. You're not a Gudis fan. I'm fine with that too. If they lose Gudis, I mean, it's not a big deal. Gudis is Gudis. The effect Gudis brings is nice. The you know hit, there are parts of his game that are really good, but he's a boom bust player in that he's very loud. We talk about that loud defenseman. He steps up a lot. He always leans. Uh, and then, but in recent games, we've seen. That it's not just misplaying two on ones, which I've been harping about all all years, which is something that he does. But lately, he's been missing assignments in front of the net, which is his bread and butter. And one of the well, reasons Pierce did last night too. Uh, we'll get to yeah. that. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get through that. But yeah, and, and I I do think that while Radko Gudis, I wouldn't mind having another year, possibly. Um, if he if he gets picked, and that allows them to either keep Dreger on a cheaper contract or um you know not lose somebody else that i would i think the not losing somebody else to me particularly one of the forwards because a lot of the defensemen at the back end even if i've liked the way some of them have played are expendable you you can lose them and and replace them uh the one thing i do want to mention uh as another as i think that the athletics beat writer ryan clark uh had them taking drieger and basically the panthers trading his rights so they can get exclusive negotiating rights and the Panthers can maybe get a draft pick out of it. Now, if that's something Seattle wants to do, you take it and you run. Just just run. People would people are going to yell and scream, but Chris Drieger yeah. is honestly, again, it's lightning in a bottle. Maybe he is this yeah. good, and if he is that good, good for Seattle. I, I don't particularly care. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
he is an, unfortunately, and this this is outside the Bob conversation. This is in a vacuum. Just a general statement about NHL goaltenders. Unless there's somebody that is your guy that you specifically want on your team or believe in, they're all pretty much replaceable these days with either one of your top prospects, somebody that you're grooming from within, or somebody on the market or somebody you can trade. I mean, Anton Forsberg goes in and out of waivers all the time. I mean, there's still a lot of people who love James Reimer, but he's third goalie on Carolina still. Yeah, because it's so Brad hilarious. Th- you know, like, it's really funny goal- when you look at this yeah. goaltending stuff. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a top-end goalie, like, glut like we've had in recent years, but there are a lot of, like, perfectly solid ones. And this offseason, yeah, there's going to be a lot of solid ones available. You, it, looking around this year, there's a lot of reasons to – be optimistic that Bobrovsky can step it up in the playoffs or step it up next year. Uh, and, it, you know, they don't need to panic into overpaying somebody to take his contract, burning the bridge to get him to waive his no-movement clause or buying out his contract or anything. It's way too just – they can calm down with that because – um, you know, you look at Mark Andre Fleury, who might be one of the best goalies in the league right now. Uh, this is a goalie that constantly goes back and forth, but has won multiple cups and might be the starting goalie who wins a cup again this year. Uh, and that's not something to overlook at Fleury's age and all of that. Uh, and I mean, you similar look at somebody like Hudobin, you look at somebody like Halak, you know, like you can get those opportunities and, and you know, and change in some ways you know what i mean and if, right. and, if, and if grieger goes to seattle as as somebody who follows the panthers you don't have to think about him that often they're going to play him two times next year and he's in the other conference yeah and if At that he's point, good who cares? and if he's good he's good i mean if he ends up getting a two and a half million dollar contract oh, that's he something... could get more he could easily that's, get more right, but that's like the top end of what florida can really even afford to give him to make him stay and he and, can and, get and because more of spencer Knight, i don't even know why you would right so i mean again if you can make it work with him and keep this through you know have dreger on the back have dreger back up night in the ahl next year great you know we'll, we'll see how it goes i'm okay with just keep playing it how it is i mean the one change i would make in the goaltending is you have to be a little better with their starts uh i thought until they they started getting in a good cadence and uh and i of keeping both of gg and bobrovsky fresh enough but now you're going in down the stretch you need they're obviously going to be going with bobrovsky now i say obviously only because of the contract, because of that's what they keep and stating. And Dreger is actually hurt at this point. Right, and and this is what they keep stating, you know, that Bob Brofsky is the guy, whether it's Quinville, whether it's Zito, whether it's management with that contract. Like, this is the guy that they got to come in and win playoff series, specifically against Tampa Bay, their potential matchup. So until you see him falter in that situation, he's going to be that guy. Whether you like it or not, you know, his cap hit is based on what he's already done in the past and is not, you know, every, I, I complain about Yandel all the time. I don't complain about his cap hit because by now I've just accepted that that's his deal and he's here and that's what it's going to be. 
you know, after a while, you just have to accept that Bobrovsky has a $10 million cap hit, and you can't use that as a reference point anymore. I mean, and, and also, I understand just why Panthers that. fans are not happy with some of his play, because there are times when he has been bad. Now, he has been better than he was last year. I think that is 100% clear. Right. There are times when he's been better than Drieger, and that is also 100% clear. You cannot use the fact that his contract is not great, and he was signed by Dale Talon against him. I, that is completely unfair, and you are not doing anybody a service in analyzing the Panthers' goaltending situation when you do that. Okay? That, that is the one thing about the Bobrovsky discourse that always gets me, is there's this undercurrent of he was signed by Dale Talon, everybody hates Dale Talon, and that is, he was overpaid. And I get, listen, you can't change the contract. NHL contracts are fully guaranteed, and you can't futz around with them. That's the way it goes. You have to move on from it at a point. And understand that that's just like, and again, Panthers fans love the, you know, the underdog story because that's this franchise. And so the Chris Drieger story fits in really nicely with them and, and, and the kind of yeah. things that we see in this Panthers fan base. And again, yeah. I'm not saying that's they, a bad they thing. Make, they make Bill Lindsay out like he's Nolo Chari or something. <laughs> I mean, you know? Bill Lindsay, let, let's be fair to Billy, great analyst. Dude great can break analyst. down plays and teach Come something back, about Billy. hockey. Come back, Billy. Oh, he's on the radio. I hope he's I, yeah. part of me. Just I don't. I do want him back on TV, and that's no offense to to Randy Moeller. I just think that uh, Billy is uh, a great analyst. I think Billy's Randy, great. Randy, take offense to that because he was they he was throwing Bob under the bus about his play before the game even started last night. And I kind of want to just go through the four goals that Bob gave up last night. Okay, because we do want we are going to get to. I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the Panthers, you know we're, we're talking about goaltenders and everything. So let's, I, I'll quickly go through this. First goal of the game. Bob makes a big save. Uh, Nashville broadcast and Florida's broadcast talked about it. Florida fails to clear the zone. They're all out of position. Three Predators are all alone. Both of the point guys who get assists and the guy who scores. Lomberg takes a long, wrong route to the point. He just completely goes the wrong way. Just it takes himself out of having anything to do with that that play started with Kierstead avoiding engagement right off that outside the zone face off and everything before that big save and from that moment onward Kierstead is lost Kierstead you know this is rookie mistakes he's going to be a solid NHL or defensively based on what you know he's done in college and his toolkit sure I'm, I'm optimistic about him but he had a rough game last night. He was out of position on a lot of plays. And and two goals he, in it, front of the net. His positioning yeah. was quite bad. And it doesn't help that he was on the ice with Montour in the fourth line, that shift, against, you know, not Nashville's fourth line. So yes, correct. The, 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 you know, Bob's – the guy taking the shot is all alone, wide Swine open. Alice. The guy, guy passing him the puck is – all alone, wide open. Roman Yossi. There's a guy in front of the net screening Bob, all open, wide open, because the defender who's supposed to be guarding him is screening Bob as well. Yeah, ten it, feet it out. Was, it was a lot all of defensive defense. breakdowns on that goal, and I was so, very, so very mad about so that's that. That's the first goal. Can't whatever. Second I mean, goal. Can you do better? Yeah, but can you blame him for that goal? No, because that's a defensive breakdown. That, second goal. Bad line change in the period of long change. Again, it's Lomberg and crew that is making this line change just out to lunch. Uh, again, it's Kirstead leaving Kunin wide open, same guy wide open again, screening and getting rebounds, 
Trisha's providing a second screen too at a different level, a different depth perception. And, you know, I don't want to hear about the rebounds that Bob's giving up because if you look at Knight, if you look at Saros, if you look at Dreger, goalies give up rebounds off their leg pads. When you're sliding to make pads off the back door and stuff, that's what rebounds happen. You know, rebound goals are part and parcel of the shots defenses, team defenses give up, and the response to the shots they give up, i.e. losing the puck battles, losing their guys, and losing the race to the rebound. Uh, You're right. You're definitely right. And I want to bring up the positioning of Kirstead on that goal. Again, how do you not, like, like, stick your rear end out to try to just even get him off the puck a little bit? I mean, Cunnan had every. He, was, he, he could have. He could have written Pride and Prejudice, a sequel, with the time he, he had. He was. I mean, and not to harp on him because he's just you know playing his seven first NHL games. Right he's going to learn. It's it's, it's, games, too yeah. early, it's too early to make judgments on him. But he, but he he had mistakes on his positioning on those two, and those are things that can be fixed. They're very fixable was, things. He was leaning away from the four checkers when he was making breakout passes because he just did not want to get hit. He was just, you know, staying everything to the outside. And it was it's a bad safe. It's the bad cautiousness. It's just like, you know, a lot Florida, they were giving up the blue line the whole the whole game. I mean, the third goal was a great example of it. Every Florida Panther backed in and gave him the zone. Yep. I I would have liked to Bob to to maybe hold on to that instead of getting hit on the other side of his glove and popping out, you know, I, I, I admit that that's the only goal I wish Bob would do better at. But again, the guy is coming right down, you he's know, right middle, down it's Roman coming right down Broadway and he's throwing head fakes. He's, he's moving the puck and Bob's, you know, trying to respond and track it through, you know, his own guys who are trying to play goalie which does not help Bob. Maybe Dreger's okay with that. Bob does not like that. It's not good for Bob. Clear the rebounds. Get the guys, clear the opponents in front of the net so they don't get the rebounds. That helps Bob. That helps build his confidence so he has less rebounds and he has a little more rebound control. And, I mean, you know, no one's watching the Predators. No one's covering anybody. You know, on all these goals, I think – the only time you see someone covering them is Bob, uh, not Bob, is Barkov covering somebody, which, you know, no shock. Fourth goal, you know, they're backing in, giving up the blue line again, way too easy. You know, they're not challenging them all the way through the neutral zone. They're not challenging them at defending their def- their own defense's own blue line. And du- Duclair leaves Ellis open in what I like to call the bar down spot because it's on the power play where they – set guys up on their offhand for one-timers to go bar, bar down. Uh, that, one's not, that one was the most not on Bobrovsky of the four yeah, because it was a complete defensive net, breakdown there. From hugging the post, watching the guy, you know, puck behind the net, out, out to, you know, the guy right in a prime shooting spot to go one-timer. And, you know, it, Uyghurs – you know, Weger's sliding around, leaving his feet. They're they're running around that shift. It it wasn't a good shift. They were not playing as a team. No one was watching their guy again. And and, and that's what I mentioned after that, that gonna, second yeah. period. I was so frustrated because it's like it was probably their best offensive effort of the year. You could argue it was one of the best offensive efforts I've ever seen a Panthers team have. They were so dominant in the offensive zone. 
Nashville was scrambling around. That looked like an AHL team against the Panthers on offense. And that was not the Panthers without Verhage and some guys. But then it was one of their worst defensive efforts at times, too. Because any time Nashville went down, they were getting a half chance to turn into a goal. And that you can't have that happen. And Bobrovsky had some fault on some of those moments. But that was what was so frustrating to me. And when they pulled him for Spencer Knight, as much as that was, you know, Bob's not having a good game, that was more Joel Quenville saying to his team, you're kicking the crap out of them, put your foot on their throat, and beat them, stop effing around. And they yeah, did. And, and I don't like this, like, automatic just, like, I, I, I don't want to say that Bob wasn't having a good – like, Bob – Bob was doing the best he could giving his circumstances, and that's about as worse I would put it. Like, honestly, that's how I would phrase it. Like, I don't even want to give in to the narrative that that was even a bad start by Bob. Like, how is it, like, from the get-go, Yandel fell and turned over the puck, and that was the, and then from then on, that set the tone for the team defense, and nothing got better all game. How is that Bob's fault? How is that Bob having a bad start? You know, I I, I just the, the con conversation around Bob is just so automatically started at he's underachieving by this much. And I just think that's totally unfair of the realistic nature of the defense we continually see in front of them. There was a point in time and stretches over the season they've got it together which is why I'm so frustrated by it because they should be continuing to build on that, getting into playoff mode so they can maybe beat a Tampa team because we talked about having 50 contracts. We talked, we haven't talked about how some of the trade deadline acquisitions have worked out. We're they have to. a decent chance of making a, you know, winning a playoff season series, maybe winning two playoff series, and then you get out of the division and you never know who you're going to play. What could happen? You have two years left of Barkov at 5.9. A lot of these guys are going to be returning. You can build something here. So what they really need to do is figure out, okay, we know they have a roster construction of defense with guys like Montour, Yandel, Forsling, who's playing really well for us. He's basically a godsend <laughs> off you know, waiver. Do you know what, you know, I, Rich but, Jessup, of course, who used to work, I have to mention this. Rich Jessup posted the, um, I think it was, the, the charts from Evolving Wild. And I was like, wait, is that Gustav Forsling? Like, yeah, it's just, it's, where in the heck did that come from? Like, that's completely found money. That is such a happy accident. You got to take it. It's it's bar it's the effect of Barkov allowing defensemen to play to their game. I mean, the reason Yandel has fallen off so much on the power play is because he's not getting force-fed five-on-five minutes with Barkov all the time. So he's not super in tune with Barkov. He's not super in tune with that top unit, uh, and it makes sense. You know, Forsling is a player who had pretty good credentials getting drafted in Vancouver. You know, had some sections of success in Chicago. So he has a coach that believes in him, and now he has opportunity. He's playing with Barkov and Uyghur. I, I You know, you can see why. It, and then it's up to the player to step up, and he has. So it's it's all really on board. And uh, in that it, vein. It's opportunity. In that vein, they need to really figure out, okay, maybe in the playoffs we can scratch handle because there's no Ironman streak or whatever. Um, or at least you just rotate him in and out, or he doesn't play. You go with 70. I don't know, but you got to figure out a way to 
play have better puck management. I mean, there's things like some of their D need to know they were just in the D zone for 40 seconds. They need to get off the ice instead of joining the rush because the puck could quickly go back the other way, and then you could get stuck again for 30 seconds in your D zone, be tired, and give up a goal against. So like Montour, Yandel, sometimes Forslund, Uyghur, and stuff, like all of these guys need to pull back a little bit, have a little more, better decision-making, better puck protection. And I'm talking about their breakout passes, where they where they're going in where they're the the lanes that they're filling with the puck and then where they're passing the puck through they need to find better lanes and take less risky uh avenues uh and and stop forcing things let the let huberto and the wingers force things let the fans yell at them for forcing things i i don't care they're that's their job to force things as a defenseman they have to take better care of the puck and, and on the whole, this year, I think they've been better at that. Yes. Obviously, much yes. better than but recent are they, years. Are they right now looking at Dreger's last three game save percentage? Looking at Bob's last three save percentage? You know, it's it's a trend. They're it's they've scored a lot. They're getting some good production out of Bennett, which hopefully will continue half as much into the playoffs. Uh, I want to focus on some trade deadline acquisitions, too, in a second, because I think it's an instructive conversation. But their team defense in the last couple of games has been a little iffy. It's just been a track meet. It's been all-star game quality where they're just trying to quickly get the puck and go. Or, you know, and everybody's not focused on what they should be doing. Uh, And a lot of guys, you know, when they are thinking defense, they're just thinking drop back, drop back, drop back, drop back, try to block the shot. And that is not going to be – that's not how you're going to win a series against Tampa Bay, Carolina, Dallas, Nashville. Well, you, you, could, be, you could be Dallas and Nashville playing like that. You can't be Tampa I mean, Carolina maybe, playing like that. Maybe you'll be the first one to four wins playing that way, depending on how the goaltending does, depending on injuries, depending on refs, pretending – you know, I mean – there's a lot of luck involved in all this too, um, but you got to give yourself the best opportunity and the best looks. And I think Florida's main objective right now is keeping the scoring alive and figuring out a way to be more deliberate and be more consistent defensively and without the puck. Uh, Cause it's going to help all their goaltending. Cause it's, you know, it, whether whoever's in net, it's going to be Dreger playing his first playoff experience. It's going to be Knight playing some of his first NHL experience and playing huge minutes. Or it's going to be Bobrovsky, who has done it before. He just needs to find his mojo. Either way, the team defense needs to be on point for them. Mm-hmm. Can I mention a couple individual players uh, yeah, as no, we, we get on, into this discussion? I, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm done on goalies if you are. Okay. Let me let me mention a couple some interesting stories with some players, um, and we'll talk trade deadline acquisitions too. Um, Mackenzie Weegar's better than even we thought he was. I mean, since Ekblad got hurt, he has been amazing. Just truly, re- I was reading some columns and pieces about uh, the Norris conversation, and some people were even mentioning Weegar in it, which I think is insane. How good he's playing! How I, I mean, he's he'll rack some- up some Norris points. Just getting some fourth and fifth votes, just as nods, I think, to what he's doing, because it is it's, such a short season that it, this 
sample size kind of does add up. And But when you look at also just the, the ability that he has had to take on responsibility without Ekblad, um, the ability to be a calming presence, the ability to be able to execute under pressure, um, playing brutal minutes as he does, the ability to allow his teammates, uh, particularly his forward lines, to do what they need to do and give them that cover and be that support. Uh, I mean, we've been fans of him for a while. You know that if you've listened to this show for longer than two weeks. But, like, I did not think that this Mackenzie Weger was possible. I don't think anybody thought this Mackenzie Weger was possible. And, you know, I'm not saying this is like you can, like, go number one D, but you're thinking about the future, right? And you're thinking about the Panthers obviously thinking about acquiring an Ekblad partner next year, which we've talked about a lot. If your top four next year is Ekblad with this guy, whoever that is, then Weger and Forsling is your second pair, because I think they're going to have to bring back Forsling the way he's playing. You're now talking about a very, very solid cup-contending top four if you get the performances out of Weger and Forsling that you're getting. And the way that they're playing right now and the fact that they have sustained it in a schedule that, is, that has been difficult, you are playing Carolina and Tampa a lot, I, I think there's every opportunity next year that these guys continue to play like this. That's, and, that's, and that's extremely impressive. That's exactly the goal. And that has to be the standard in the Barkov window, which is what we have to call it. Uh, and, I mean, and that's why, frankly, you know, them playing night or whatever, this, despite my process things, I'm okay with. Because I'm willing to risk a lot to win now with Barkov uh, this year, next year. And so that means the expectations are that high. Um, and that means building that decor. You know, you see what Zito has been able to do quickly uh, with waivers, with, uh, you know, I don't want to call them cheap trades, but cheaper trades and, you know, signings. Uh, he's, done a, he's done more than Talon did in 10 years, kind of changing over the defense and getting the type of defenders they need. They're still got a long way to go, though, because, you know, I, I don't want to say he's fixed everything, but he's he's trying more. Like, it was so hard to get talent to just use a third to get somebody who may or may not fix one aspect of the defense. It was so hard to get talent to take a guy off waivers that wasn't just the bang bodies, fight fight people type of guy. You know, like, it was hard to get that done. Zito is willing to just throw everything at the wall, and I think that alone is kind of adds up to a better decor. I apologize if I'm losing my focus because I'm watching Champions League pregame and they're showing highlights <laughs> of Tottenham beating City a couple years ago, and it's like, oh right, I didn't hate my club then. Um, anyway, I do want to mention something else about that. You know, when we talk about the addition, not just Forsling, but when I look at somebody like Brandon Montour who has been better than I thought he was going to be. And again, we came in with very low expectations. Um, I think, and, and also it's come at the same time with Nudivara, right? Who has really stepped up in recent weeks and it's kind of made you wonder why he was scratched as much as he was. Um, like when you look at the defense core and Yandel's going to play game one against the playoffs, whether he plays game two is an open question, but Uyghur, Forsling, Nudivara, Montour, Yandel, Gudis is probably the six. And I think, I mean, Gudis didn't play last night, and I'm assuming that's a maintenance day thing, just to keep him fresh for the playoffs when you need him. You don't need him against Nashville, and Nashville's going to throw crazy forecheck at him, things like that. Um, I think that's fine. Um, and I guess Kierstead's the sixth, the seventh D, 
um, based on what's going on. Again, Juleson's probably still very hurt, and we don't know what happened because they haven't talked about it. So that's that's an intri- it's it's frustrating because uh, I know you like Juleson a lot. I mean, and I think I would be very. I think as soon as the NHL season ends, Vladislav Kaliachanok is getting recalled from the AHL. Well, they're going to have a huge Black Aces squad regardless. They have one right, right now. But, I mean, he's got two points in eight games. He's a plus two, just reading the – I mean, I haven't watched them. I'm not saying it. I'm just looking at stats real quick. But, I mean, if you're playing Tampa Bay in the first round, you don't really want him in the AHL. You kind of want him in case you need him because we're talking about Kirstead being seven or Kali Tanak being seven. I mean, is Kirstead's – few NHL games that much better. Uh, Kyle can, you risk is, play, can you risk playing Strawman, who has well, really fallen you know, out of favor? Yeah, Kyle, well, you know, we don't know what the, whatever the situation, whether it's injuries or, but he brings something different than what Matt Kierstead brings. And that could be what Quinville's trying to replace or what all Samuelson's trying to add. And uh, that could be enough to, to get him on that, you know, list of seven, eight, nine, ten defenders spots, you know, that are added in the playoffs. So I want to go now over some of these forwards and talk about the way that uh, we've seen the evolution. And I'll bring up a tweet that I, I saw somebody mention, and it was in relation to Sam Bennett. But it was like, how did the Panthers forward group get so good when they were talking about they lost Danoff, they lost Yager, Trocek, Smarshiso, Smith? And I mentioned it in a tweet, and I talked about it with you, like, a lot of those guys, other than Trocek, were middle six forwards. And that is no offense to somebody like Riley Smith or Jonathan Marshall, who I think are very good players and obviously have succeeded in Vegas. But those guys are kind of replaceable. And considering they found Carter Verhage and got him for nothing, and they got Anthony Duclair because a bunch of GMs have very, very bad opinions of a black hockey player, which I'm, I'm just going to say it, like, I, I can't imagine it's anything other than some people not giving a black hockey player a chance because Duclair has been amazing. Like it makes no sense to me how Anthony Duclair could have gone through five teams already. Dude can play. He's incredibly smart. You watching him play with these amazing skilled players he's playing with, whether he's playing with Barkoff or Huberto. And you're just wondering how the heck did the Panthers sign him for $1.7 million? It's ridiculous. And, yeah. and, and like you can it, get it, somebody, you know, you could find somebody off the street you know, basically, who is performing just about I, as well, if not better than the guys you replaced. You can know, I, the can guys I you offer left. an opinion as well? It might also be like, you know, the Taylor Hall situation. Taylor Hall wanted big, you know, wanted a a long-term fit, whatever, couldn't find it. So then he was very specific about the short-term fit he wanted. It's worked out a lot better, obviously, than, than Taylor Hall, as, as we know. But, you know, it makes sense that he, you know, was his own agent. I think he wanted to make sure that wherever he ended up, it was going to be a spot where he, Anthony Duclair, was either going to have a good chance of staying there long term uh, and getting another contract there, or if it didn't work out, play his way onto another team because, you know, maybe he priced himself out of Florida or whatever by playing well because, you know, Florida... After losing Dadnov and, and Hoffman, they could make those promises of, yeah, you are going to get X amount of power play time. You are going to get X amount of time with Barkov and Huberdeau. 
and he has. And while other than not being able to finish on chances and getting a little bit of tunnel vision, he's been better than advertised. So well worth every penny. Uh, and, 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 and it's one of those things where perhaps it's, it is a fit thing, you know, and maybe it's because, like, Bill Zito and Joel Quenville know this player so well and they know how, okay, this is what we have to do to help him succeed, get him to where he needs to be. I mean, can't imagine him going anywhere else, basically, the way that he's playing this year and the fact that I think he seems to really like it and the fit works. Um, but, again, five teams. He's walking or he's on the street. And they sign him as a free agent. For Hagee, you take advantage of a Lightning team that can't keep these players. But then they found guys like Ross Colton and Alex Barry-Boulay. They didn't need Carter for Hagee. They just replaced them all the time. But you were talking about how you can find these guys. And Bill Zito did it in one offseason. That's all he needed was one offseason to essentially completely replace, you know, what was going on. As we talked about before, it was at the top of the Panthers lineup. But it was always the bottom that dragged them down. And in one offseason, he was able to basically fix it. And that shows you, again... I know that Dale Talon made a ton of mistakes, and we agree with that. Other than Trocek, those guys are kind of replaceable, and Bill Zito showed how easy they are to replace if you're looking in the right spots, if you're doing the right kind of scouting, if you're doing the right kind of analysis, and that's what they did. And let's get into that with Sam Bennett because I understand that they gave up probably too much, a, a second and a second-round prospect. I well, mean, I can, I can gripe with that, but the way he's playing – I mean, we talked about it when they acquired him. Are they going to put him with the skilled wingers because his game is extremely simple? He's very north-south compared to everybody else, you know, who are east-west, they're creative. And look at how that's worked. You give him the confidence to do the few things that, you know, we know he's really good at. You maximize that ability and look at what happens. Right? Like, yeah, I, I called him Mike Knubel. Yeah, I mean, I remember Knubel after the – after joining the Flyers, and he was on a tear. He was doing uh, – I mean, this is when Knubel could still move. So uh, it was it was fun to watch. Uh, the the one thing uh, – I it was never they overpaid for Bennett. I mean, you could, there's, there's a set market value for Sam Bennett, and they paid over that value. Yeah, sure. But at the time, I said – I want Zito to go and pay deadline prices to bring in people he feels will make a difference to the offense that was needed. Uh, and when I didn't think Bennett was an option, when Bennett came back, I was like, I mean, I'm not like a huge Bennett fan, but I'm better than nothing. I don't mind, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, it's worked out. I think it's going to come down to earth. Again, I still think he's more of, a, a, a winger and uh, or or a three C, but um, you know if they can keep it going, it doesn't matter what he is as long as he's finds a, a trio. I mean, he's the third wheel for sure in that line. Duclair and Hero are, are doing a lot of the driving. Are, are um, you know? And but that, again, I don't think that that doesn't. That's suit a bad him. thing. Yeah, I mean, like again, that's not a bad thing. Uh, we were talking about what they needed to do was to have people bring the puck down the ice and, and get it to him through the middle, and he's doing that. And uh, okay, you know, we talk a lot about what that is when you have a north-south player because he's very north-south, right? He's very direct. He's going to get in front of the net, you know, and he's going to do those things. And then you have Jonathan Huberto and Anthony Duclair who will get in front of the net, but they are creative players. They like yeah, to move and, around. They like to manipulate space. Sam Bennett is a guy who complements that very well. And it's not just that he's north-south. Like, he's north-south, and Hubert everything. 
but he's a puck holder. And then Duclair's north-south, too, uh, who has the skill to do, you know, to do east-west, to pull up and, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, he also is a puck holder. Bennett doesn't hold on to the puck. He's a give-and-go. He's a work-with-his-teammates type of guy, and that's a piece that kind of is that complement to that line. Uh, and, you know, he's much better getting to the middle without the puck than driving to the middle with the puck and giving him two wingers, not just one, two wingers that are always wanting to take the puck to the net from the, from the, from the wing or drive or cut to the middle or, you know, they want the pucks in those, those areas. That, that sets Bennett up for success because what is he good at? Rebounds, tipping winning puck battles, that kind of stuff, getting into the corners and that kind of stuff. So it puts him there. And when he's not there, he can be a solid F3 and let those guys do the digging and, and just get to the, the mid slot. Even uh, with Owen Tippett on that line, like you yeah. saw a lot of those same things. And it is that dynamic that is making Sam Bennett work. And right. one thing I think the Panthers have done a really good job of this season in large regard is finding the skill sets of players who are undervalued otherwise and then – keying in on that and maximizing it and right. getting the most out of it they possibly can. We've seen it with Verhage. We've seen it with Forsling, you know, Hornquist at the beginning of the year. And now we're seeing it with Sam Bennett. Like they have done a really good job of taking these players who aren't the highest level, right? These are incredible athletes, but they're not like top level players, you know, like what, like a team like Tampa has done forever. And Colorado does what good teams do. You find the skill set, you maximize that skill set. And then you put the players in position to maximize what they're very good at or minimize the risk. And with Sam Bennett, that's exactly what Joel Quenville did. And as I said, even with Owen Tippett on that line later in the game, they still did the same things, right? And it works. And I have yeah. to give a shout out to Owen Tippett, who finally got a goal after having like a billion shots and a bunch of good chances and they were not going in, which was stupid. But he, he's playing well too. And that, yeah. that makes me happy. Unfortunately, I'm going to say, you know, the reason Tippett's doing well is something is the reason the defense is not doing well. It's because he stopped giving a crap about the two-way play. Yeah, he's hustling. He's on the forecheck. He's getting in on guys. He's hitting guys. He's, do he's playing good defense in the offensive zone and stuff and his position, but he's only thinking offense. I think it takes out some of his hesitation. I think a lot of the beginning of the year he was – always trying to be in the right position. He was always kind of hesitant and thinking uh, of how to kind of be a two-way player. And I think now uh, he's kind of got the green light and knows he needs to score to be, stay in the lineup. And, and that's what he's focusing on. And he's putting himself in positions to score on the ice versus positions to be, you know, the third guy back or, or whatever. And that's a much better use of his skill sets. There are yeah. some players in the league who you just have to unleash. Let them do what they're good at. Yeah. And if you put and them on – that's why I said put them on a line with Barkov because he can hide defensive deficiencies and of a ton of players. This is this is why I was, you know, kind of on Quinville to, to wake up. And, and he's waking up, and, and I'm seeing some signs of life uh, 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 here. But, you know, Zito is bringing in a lot of these guys that are, like you said – play to their skill set, you know, manage them. It's a lot to juggle as a coach. And if you're not constantly juggling all of that stuff in the right way and keeping, you know, all these players with the right players and, you know, it's, it's, it's all hockey is a very fluid and fast game. It's not like football or some 
other sports where it might be easier to manage personnel and, and make sure that that happens uh, and get the right schemes at the right times. Uh, so, you know, Quinville does need to be on his matchup when he's away at Tampa or when he's away at Carolina in the first round. And they need to, they can't give up a goal in the first period and get behind. Uh, so he has to be, you know, correct out of the gate. Uh, and that stuff's going to matter. Uh, and it's, it, and a lot of people say, like, you know, why are you always so negative? Why don't you enjoy the ride? Like, I'm enjoying the ride. Like, I'm enjoying that we get to have a conversation about how Quinville needs to be on his game so to utilize the, the pretty solid depth that Florida's GM has amassed so they have a shot against Tampa in the first round. I'm, like, that is great. Like, I don't understand. It is extremely different than what we've talked about in the past, which is right. you need to build up your depth just to get to the bubble. This is a team that was never a bubble team at any point this year. They eliminated that by the middle of February, honestly. They, they weren't a bubble right. team anymore. And, and that's when I w spent you know a day or two being really happy that Florida clinched the playoffs. I didn't, I, I'm not really happy now that Florida clinched the playoffs because you know that's kind of an this yesterday was an arbitrary date like, like it was gonna it was happen coming. they were going to be a playoff team no matter what and now the step is like that was yeah. what the organization's goal was for years now they met that goal it's now time to prove that you can do something in the playoffs you've built up yeah. all this talent it's, you have alexander barkov playing at a just stupid level like this is stupid watching him play like last night I mean, just overall, but can you're I, watching him last night, just ridiculous. Can I read a, a tweet from Dmitry Filipovich? Uh, tweeted yes, out some stats, some stats from Natural Stat Trick. Uh, Barkov in time on ice is 21 minutes, 18 seconds, eighth best for forwards, 24th goal, sixth best, 23 primary assists, seventh best, 52 points, 13th, 165 shots eighth 60 percent shot share which is ninth 62.6 percent percent five on five high danger chance share which is sixth best also sixth best for five on five expected goal share which is 61.4 those are pretty good numbers and there when i dug a little deeper beyond that tweet on natural stat trick and you know i looked at the save percentage, the expected goals against and stuff by division, uh, you know, the central gives up less goals, expectedly gives up less goals. They give up less scoring chances per game. They give up less shots and shot attempts per game and things like that. It's um, compared to the other leagues, it's tougher to score. So to, to look at some of those stats and see that he's still – you know, sixth in goals when, uh, you know, it's not the North, it's not the West. Um, it, I mean, we're, we're talking like there are two bad teams in the division, two. I mean, you could talk about Chicago, but they're not bad. They're not good, but they're not and, bad. And, and Chicago is overperforming what they are this year. And at, at times they had a hot goaltender in, in Lankinen. So, you know. But you're playing you're playing Dallas, who is noticeably one of the better defensive teams when it comes to details in the league. You have Nashville, who even is hurt. right now riding a super hot streak for their goalie. And then you have Carolina and Tampa, who everyone agreed was two of the best teams in the league. And the Panthers, when Barkov has just been on his game, it's been – like every year we talked about, 
How are their Panthers' best players getting better? And they are. And this, this Barkoff season, he's not going to be in the top three for the heart, and that's stupid, and that's no fault of his own because McDavid's going to win it, Matthews is going to be second, McKinnon's going to be third, and that sucks, and it's not fair. But Alexander Barkov, he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. You know, any of, any of us who have watched him, you know, for as long as we have, we know what he was capable of this, and he's 24 years old still. It feels like he's been in the NHL for a million years. He's 24, and he's doing this, and he's getting better every single season. And, I mean, and, 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 I, and I want to tell people don't take this for granted, not because, not because he's, not, he's going to leave, because I don't think that's even remotely a possibility. Don't take this for granted because you're not going to see this very often, and you never can take for granted that you're seeing it for the team you love and the team that you follow religiously, right? Like, who is the best player in Panthers history? Who is the most exciting offensive player in Panthers history, right? Was Pavel Bure probably before Barkov? I think that's the only yeah. answer. And when Pavel Bure was on his game, I, I imagine us, you know, if we were 20 years older and we were watching the Panthers in the late 90s, we would have said, do not take this for granted. You don't see this very often with your team. And yes. do not take this yes. for granted with Sasha Barkov because he's doing things that so few other players are even remotely capable of doing. That yeah. third goal, that little play along the wall where he takes the puck away after losing it and then drives to the net and scores basically by sheer force of will. No, nobody can do that basically other than him. And he's going to win the Selkie this year. He deserves to win a trophy for all the well that he's playing. And this, this, this season is vindication for him. It's vindication for Huberto. It's vindication for these guys who have always been this good. But the rest of the team let them down. And that's not happening I, this year. I want to see what where Barkov lands in the Lindsay race. That's that's gonna be pretty telling to me. That's actually a real I've never seen that mentioned. I haven't seen that mentioned in much of the discourse, and I think that that's a really good point because I mean, like, if you I bet if you talk to people candidly in the in the central division, you know, not just Tampa, but the teams who are not in the, the Atlantic who see Barkov all the time, I would love to talk to you know, somebody like Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne, you know, who are going up against Barkov, and the Panthers have killed the Predators this year. The only games that Nashville has won is because Soros went red hot and the Panthers couldn't stop it. I would love to hear what they have to say. I'd love to hear what Jordan Stahl has to say. You know, not, not Trocek, because we know what he would say, but I want to hear what somebody like that, right? Like, somebody, yeah. or somebody like Pavelski or Jamie Benn. Like, you have to play against Barkov all these amounts of times, how can you – what is it like playing against him like this? And they're probably going to go, whew, I'm glad we don't see him that often because, like, how, how are you supposed to stop that? You know what I mean? Like, because Tampa knows what they're getting when they play the Panthers. They've seen him a million times. But Carolina doesn't. And, I mean, Carolina, give credit, they've played Barkoff the best against of, of any of these teams. Um, and everybody else has just not been able to stop it. And you're right about the Lindsay vote. I mean, he's probably not going to be that high in it either because he gets McDavid, McKinnon, and Matthews. But, like, you know, you were talking about it vis-a-vis, like, the heart and why you, you're less – I mean, McDavid's going to win it. But I, I, the, the things that he does, it's the things that, I mean, we still don't know how to quantify, those little board plays, the little stick lifts in the defensive zone that it just relieves pressure, and it looks yeah. so effortless, and, right? And, and doing that from – I mean, to be honest, which a lot of times is a defensive position, too. I mean, he's not like McDavid, who scored a hat-trick from three stretch passes on the, in the and neutral zone. And that's the zone. other thing about Barkov that is right? interesting, right? Well, Barkov's a fast player, 
but we're not talking about him in the same way you talk about McKinnon, who's faster. I think Matthews is probably faster, and certainly McDavid is. We're not talking about Barkov being a blazing speed guy who's just going to beat you because he's faster. Yeah, or, That's not but, what he is. Yeah, or and, you know, I mean, more so this is more so aimed at McDavid, but, you know, he's he's always focused on what is the best play for the team, and he still scores that much. McDavid's focused on how can I score because that's the best play for the team. And that Which is, is correct. completely different. And like, you know, you can say I'm splitting hairs and everything, but if I'm, you know, we're talking about, you know, the handful of best players, we are splitting hairs anyway. So that, that would, McKinnon's kind of like that too. McKinnon is a guy who will give up the puck, can, can do a lot of things and understand the moment. Uh, he doesn't do it to a Barkov level where he's basically a Nick Lidstrom, a you know a defense, a Fedorov, a, a you know a, th- a defenseman on the ice. Yeah, uh, but you know, like, I'm he... trying to like, what is and you've watched hockey more than me um, and for longer than I have, and you played, which I never did, even at a, even at a low level. Like the comparison for Barkov is it's it's hard to really even say like. You, 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 we used to think like you had these amazing defensive players, these defensive forwards, but you, you, you never got them in like the offensive regard, right? You know, like you never got them at this stupid yeah. high level. Like the combination of incredibly high skill, incredibly high smarts, he's able to put up, you know, 100 point pace while also being one of the best defensive forwards in the league. Like maybe Bergeron at his peak was kind of like that. And I yeah, understand. I, I mean, I think we're. I, I mean, without the cups, it's it's really hard to say this and have people listen and take it seriously. I I, I personally think Barkov is beyond Kopitar level, is at that Bergeron, Ron Francis, Fedorov level, Datsuk. yeah, Datsuk level of, you know, basically cross i mean and crosby too i mean let's throw there i think they're all that same level i mean if we go back to barkov he's the youngest player to score a goal in the world juniors in the modern era youngest player in the nhl to score a goal at least as far as i know at the time he scored it was um you know he has that crosby generational pedigree too i mean this is a guy that has always done it and apparently we'll continue to just keep getting better and, and continue to do it. And that's why I say don't take it for granted because you, you can't because you don't see this very often. And for all that Dale Talon, you know, screwed up, the taking Barkoff over Seth Jones or Jonathan Duran in 2013 is a decision that changed the franchise. And for whatever you want to say about Dale Talon, that decision, which was very hard, and apparently if you go back and you – you, you go back through the history, was done because the Panthers had no money as they were about to be sold. So Dale Talon was told, you need to take a guy who's going to step in and play right now because I don't have money to sign free agents. So he took Barkov because he knew he could step in right away. Like, I think that's the story. And obviously, we knew people who used to work for the Panthers, and we hear these stories about Barkov all the time and just how, how special that he is. And that's why I'm like, this... this I. As much as it is a great team thing and great for the fan, it's great for Bill Zito, it's great to see Joel Peel do what he does, 
Like, this is a Sasha Barkoff and Jonathan Huberto and Aaron Eckblad, who's hurt, unfortunately. But th it's these three guys. They deserve this more than anybody else. And now they get a chance to really... And when they go to the playoffs, like last year, I don't count that really as the playoffs. I don't. Like, right. they're going to go in to this postseason series. Because when they went in in 2016, they, they didn't really know what was... Like, that was, again, that was lightning in a bottle, a very special season. But that was because other teams were bad as much as they were good. And they should have won that series. They were the better team than the Islanders. They're going in with no fear. You know, even if they play Carolina, and they do play Carolina a little scared, but they're going in against Tampa. If they play Tampa, I mean, I don't know if they're going to win, but it's going to be just supremely high-level hockey. It's going to be – it would probably – a Panthers-Lightning series – I think a Panthers-Lightning series – I mean, some people want Panthers-Hurricanes more, and I'm saying no because I don't think the Panthers play well against the Hurricanes, and I don't want to see that. I don't want to see them go three for a billion on the power play again and look like they have no idea how to do a zone entry because the Hurricanes stacked up the neutral zone. If they play Tampa, they're going in with no fear. And they are going to go in – I mean, they play Tampa differently than they've played other teams. When you're talking about the way that they've played this year against, you know, some of the lesser lights, they've come in saying, we're better than you, we're going to beat you. They come into this game against – these games against the Lightning, even if they lose – they're going into these games against Tampa saying, we got to prove that you need to take us seriously, and you better because we're going to beat you if you don't. And it's that, it's that sense, right, that, that it is an underdog mentality in the sense that you are going up against the Cup champs, you are going up against the best team in the last decade in many regards, but they're going up against it like, you better notice us, and we're going to beat you if you don't. It is that rivalry sense, right? You know, and I think that that – and that's why I think a Panthers-Lightning series would be – I mean, it's going to be torture for us watching it because we're going to go through it and we're going to agonize over every little play that happens. But for a neutral, Panthers-Lightning is going to be an insane series. And it's going to start the rivalry we begged for, right? It's going to make Panthers-Lightning a thing. Hopefully. I mean, it depends on what Florida team shows up and also depends on what Tampa Bay team shows up because they've had some problems in the first round. But They have had some problems uh, in the first round. You um, know, I, I don't... All I know is what does Florida need to do to get to the spot where they can be confident and see what happens in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that they're they're getting closer. I mean, they're starting to now use Denisenko and Hepo Niemi, who didn't look too bad. You know, I think they just kind of have to find them a spot um, – and and you know let them get used to whatever their role is uh you know and however that quinville defines it for them uh and you know but i want to see more of them uh, i i, I see no reason ice. why they now that they are officially in the playoffs okay and chicago is a team that is not good defensively last they, they didn't play well when they played in chicago last time because they didn't have barkoff they're gonna have them now um you can play you this is the chance now when you know these other two teams have games in hand on you. You can't control that. Go out and do what you need to do. And especially since they have injuries and they're not fully healthy, give the young players a chance. Give Heponiemi and Dennis Aiko a chance. The one Whoa. thing I'll say is, you know, that they have given these players, maybe not the chances we would have liked to have seen, but everybody's gotten a go. Like, yeah. everybody's I, had a chance to get in the lineup and make plays happen. And that is how we've seen – I mean, it's happened with Mason Marchman. That's been unfortunate. But it's how we've seen – other players take their steps up and have given themselves a chance. And I hope Denisenko and Heponiemi play so well that Joel Quenville can't take them out. Yeah, I mean, and I want to see the kids play, and I want to see guys get their chances and everything. But at the same time, the main focus is 
five games left. Two of them against Chicago, the first two against Chicago, which allows them to kind of get sped up. But then you have Dallas, Tampa, Tampa. Those have to be all-out playoff-style games, getting your team ready. And those last three games have to be Bob all in a row, if not for one of the Chicago games, too. Uh, you know, whatever, give Knight or Dreger a game. I don't care. Dreger's still hurt. Give Knight. Uh, again, whatever. I don't care. I'm over it. Uh, I, I, I laid out my process reason. It's on the r- record. So if the, he ends up becoming a flash in the pan like Matt Murray or something, we can go back to it. Um, but Or or Carter it, Hart. But again, yeah, like if it – yeah, or if he has issues like Carter Hart, we can go back to it. But, you know, whatever. It's the, the thing is they need to get Bob going. They need to get the team defense going. They need to – do that all while keeping the offense going, getting some of these young guys in, uh, and you know, just start planning accordingly, so to speak, for the playoff matchup. Like it is go time, uh, and you know, at this point, there's not much. Once again, into the playoffs, I mean, I I don't know how much critiquing I'll do. I'll just let it ride and and enjoy it, I guess. But. Um, and then we're after still the figuring season, out how we're going to do. We're, we're very not used to doing playoff things. That's bizarre for us because well, Panthers you know, are never in the playoffs. I, I, no, I'm I, just I talking think, about us doing a podcast. Yeah, like what yeah, are we going to do? Are we going to react to each game? I think we're going to have to. But we'll worry about know, that. But in the I mean, I think you just have to, uh, like, from a Panthers fan perspective, you, you I'm just to, saying enjoy what you're about to see. Well, yes, but I mean. Yeah, I, what I'm just trying to say is the Panthers need to start playing like the other teams that continually go to the playoffs, taking the last couple games, going using against Tampa, using against Dallas as, you know, important down-the-stretch games. Start tightening things up, and they have a real shot at this. And once we get to the playoffs, I'll, I'll you can't – you have to wait till the series unfolds to really go back and, and go over everything. So I think that's probably how we'll look at it. But, um, you know, there's still a lot that can be done in these last five games. And you need to expect Florida to put everything, the coaches, the players, management into preparing for the playoffs. Cause this is big. This is where you can start building momentum for a deep run this year, for, you know, building that momentum for the run next year. And, you know, we talked about how winning the last game of the season or going in the run in the regular season where you don't make the playoffs, that momentum doesn't translate over. This type of momentum translates over. Ending the season on a good start, you know, starting to play playoff hockey, carrying it into a series showing up in the playoffs and doing good run that can build to the eventual cup, whether next year or down the line. And that's how Florida has to focus and think about it. And everything we should all be extremely excited that the Carolina hurricanes are not in the Panthers division next year. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. But they play terribly against Carolina Boston and Toronto back possibly. Well, but listen, they don't play badly against the Leafs. I mean, Mark Pesic scored a hat trick against them. I'm not scared of Toronto. I'm not really that scared of Boston. I am scared of Carolina. 
Carolina played replaced Boston. I'm scared of Boston. But the majority of Florida Panthers seasons have ended because Boston has beat them in the series to end this, you know, down the stretch. And I don't think the Pan. I mean, again, last year. I mean, it, it. But I think to me, it's just a matchup in the way I see the Panthers playing against Carolina, and it's been the case for about four years, and it's been the case this year too. They just do not play well against them for whatever reason. Um, well, I this hope- reason it's because they're not. I mean, again, they're not responding. We've t- already talked about what yeah, they need to do against Carolina. True. You know, True. they have to. You know, Carolina and Rod Brindamore have looked at the tape, have said, "Okay, this is how Florida breaks out. This is how Florida enters the zone on the power play. This is what they do. These these are the players they lean on. When you know, this is how they run their lineup, and they've developed this strategy around it." And, and it, I mean, I mean, they have well. Good news is Vincent Trocheck did not score in the last two games against the Panthers. I was convinced he was going to score in all eight this year, and it was going to be just annoying as hell. And uh, boy, Vincent Trocheck overtime winner in Game Seven against the Panthers is going to be just oh, I don't even want to think about it. Um, just a couple of other things I think around the league yet um, maybe we want to mention. Uh, is there anything you would like to talk about? I mean, the Flyers are obviously done. Um, we talked about that at the trade deadline. They're now thinking about um, what the future is. Uh, yeah, is there anything you I'm, want to talk about with that? No, with the Flyers, I mean, like the Flyers need to do, I need to take a long, hard think because I think it starts with Giroux and, and how you want to approach that. It starts with, you know, what you're willing to do to make it work now, what you're not willing to do, who you're w- willing to move on from, whether that's coaches or players and, and which of the coaches and which of the players. Um, that kind of stuff, it's going to take a while. The biggest thing I, I want to talk about is all I should be on the Knights and, and the Avalanche and and the Wild because I think those are in a similar... Yeah, it feels like of, the West is very similar to the Central in that you've got the well, two the, teams the, we all knew were going to be good, yeah. and then the third team's come in and has proven you can't not take us seriously. And, I mean, the Panthers are a better team than Minnesota overall. They have more. I mean, Kaprizov's awesome, but they're a better team overall than the Wild are. But the Wild are that team, like, if you like whoever finishes second, like, if you finish first in that division, you get a walkover basically in the first round because the Blues aren't good or the Coyotes are going to get steamrolled. But if you're in the second, like if Colorado has to play Minnesota, Colorado has to expend a ton of effort to beat the Wild, and Vegas will yeah. not. That's a big difference in that in that series. You know, in the in the in the East, those two series, however they stack up, are going to be bloodbaths. You know, in the North, I mean, probably Toronto's going to have it a little bit easier against Montreal in fourth, but not in the same way. But like the the Central and the the uh, West are very similarly structured. And I really, I mean, obviously Kirill Kaprizov in the playoffs is going to be fun, but we don't, we can't be denied Vegas, Colorado. That's a series we need to see. And that's a series that would be maybe even better than Panthers-Lightning. Yeah, and, would and the good news is, because of the way the divisions are, one of them doesn't even get to the third round, which means Florida, you know, whatever, if they get out of it, they might really luck out. I mean, one well, of the I mean, what is it? Toronto, one of Vegas, Colorado, and whoever gets out of that bludge, that bludgeon match that is the yeah. East. Yeah. You know, it's 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 boy, it's it, it sets up. It's so interesting because yeah. of the way I, the playoffs I, I are don't, structured. I don't I don't really watch. I mean, I watch enough of the North, and I can't really recommend that to anyone. Um, Central again, I don't really recommend. To me, I'm just watching. Those three teams at the top of the West, those three teams at the top of the Central, and, and enjoying hockey. It's, it's a lot of fun with the U18s and stuff. 
uh, peppered in and prospect stuff peppered in. It's, you know, it's been a good year of hockey. Thank, thankfully, you know, Florida has had enough supporting cast to make use of their best players being the league's best players. Yep. It's been a very fun, uh, boy, it has been actually a fun season when you look back on it after all that it's gone through with, with COVID and, and so much of this, they took advantage of what has been a very difficult year and they've taken advantage of it. And it's a season that Panthers fans have been begging for. And now they finally have it. And again, don't take it for granted. These things don't happen. You already know that because the Panthers, but it, it, I hope this is the start of something particularly yeah. special, not just this year, but next year and beyond. I do want to say next uh, next week probably going to do a guest show. We'll we'll have some fun, and the next time you hear us, we're we're definitely previewing. Uh, we're going to go in depth onto whatever whoever Panthers play, whether it's Florida, Tampa, or if they somehow uh, win the division and it's Nashville or Dallas. Uh, but that's going to be our next show. Um, yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be at best right now. They got to be aiming for the two seed. I, I think with the games in hand, it's it's just going to be a little. It's, it's going to be really tricky. It it is going to be I I think particularly tricky. Um, I do a just beat it, it, just win your games against Tampa. The, that win your you games know, against Tampa and you have it any Dallas, other chance. You know, split against Chicago, win against Dallas, and the two against Tampa. That's you got a chance. Cool. You've got a chance, and it'll be it'll be fun. Again, mid-May Stanley Cup playoffs, but the Panthers are in it, and there's no doubt about that. There hasn't actually been any doubt, but it just—it was last night. You watched the end of that game, and you're like, okay, this all—they put it together. They did what we asked them to do, and now they can take that next step, which we've been waiting for a long time, and it, it's finally happened. So, guest show next week. Following that, in a couple weeks, full-on great playoff preview, and. Yeah, the Panthers are in it. We don't have to, like, you know, phone it in during the playoffs because now the Panthers are involved. And that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> I and, love it. Yeah. And and just. No, no. And focus on the details. Focus on I got how. Nothing. I got nothing. Focus on how this team is going to, again, how do they set themselves up for the playoffs and how, again, you got to think of playoff games as very different than regular season games. And. Can the Panthers win these games? They've proven that they can, and now they need to come in with that mentality and, and do it again because, again, when you get a team like this, you don't get many cracks. At the, Tampa teams yeah. are rare. You don't get many also, kicks the can. A final, final question. I, I was meaning to ask you this. Is it better to just take Gusev out for the night than to put him on the fourth line with Lomberg? Or, yes, 100%. Uh, and I, 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 like what, what is more disrespectful to Gusev and what – you know, I'm not going to call it disrespectful to Gusev. I'm going to say this right yeah. off the end. I'm going to say it. Uh, Nikita Gusev might not be an NHL player. Yeah, he might not be. And I mean, that's he, he has said. not been good. That's what we I'm, said when the the signing happened. Like he's got the talent, and he's like a really good add-on. But he wasn't the guy. And then the, that's why they had to go out and get Bennett. And Bennett so far has been good enough. But again, I don't think Bennett's the guy. They still, I feel, I think they still have to go out and get some more talent in the offseason. Oh, but of they course did the they best do. They, they did the best they could, I guess. They, of you course. Know. And Gusev uh, was absolutely worth a flyer, but dude might yeah. not be an NHL player. I, I just don't think he is. Like, well, they're, they're, I mean, ever, I want to. He might just be a KHL All Star, and there's I nothing wanna wrong try, with I want to try. I want to try one of the Chicago games: Barkov, Hubert, Gusev, five on five, and just try for the whole game. And then that gives you three lines to try a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so that's that's what I would do. But yeah, I mean it's fair enough. But I, I I think Gusev could easily be one of the first scratches come the playoffs. Like 
Yeah, and I'm not. I don't think he's earned enough to be protected or defended at this point. So. Nope. I I just I I wanted to mention that, and I didn't think about it until you mentioned it. But yeah, Gusev might not be an NHL player, and that means you watch him play, and you're like, there's skill there, but it just isn't coming together in an NHL context. Yeah, I mean it's it's same with Walmart. I'm happy they tra- they brought him back and everything, but it's not somebody I I really was expecting. We, well, when we get to the playoffs, we'll do a whole preview of like who do we want in the lineup, who do we think is going to happen, and how do you match up best against whoever they play. But since we don't know who they're playing yet, it's kind of hard to say. We kind of have an idea, of course, but yeah, that's that, that's our goose egg comments. We didn't mention it. And anyway, uh, thank you again for listening. Yeah, good night. Good 93 goals. I love it.